Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. AlphaList is a closed community with over 300 CTOs that share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insight into the thoughts and ideas of top CTOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. And this podcast episode is kindly presented by MongoDB, the successor of the NoSQL movement. It's a very attractive, flexible, and simple database system that can be integrated in no time. They have a developer-first approach and build a system that is fun to use and scale to terabytes or petabytes. You don't have to think too much about your database structure. Just start playing with it and develop it on the go. I tried their new cloud product called MongoDB Atlas and all listeners of this podcast can easily do the same and test it in their favorite cloud, GCP, AWS or Azure. Custom tailored deployment without over-provisioning, sandbox for developers, organized and microservices and clear focus on developer fun and quality. To keep it simple, DevOps with more dev and less ops. Just go to cloud.mongodb.com and use the promo code PODCAST2020 to get started using their database as a service in the cloud. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. Uh, today with me is Matthias Lauk. I know Matthias for quite a while, and he's the founder of a large company, large startup called Tier Mobility. And they are the leading scooter startup in Germany and uh, collected around, I think, 130 million in funding in a very short time period. And before that, uh, he founded Lieferando and acted as a CTO. <laughs> So welcome, Matthias. Uh, good to have you finally in the podcast. Thanks. Uh, we, we took some time. Uh, so thanks for the patience. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a very patient guy. So um, <laughs> maybe a good first question. How did you get there? What is, what is your, your nerd path? So how did you get, get into computing, into engineering? This is a super boring uh, story because I'm repeating what a lot of people actually saying during an interview. Uh, it's like, oh, I got in touch very early with computers. But ultimately, this is the, the right story. Um, like um, my, my, my father was one uh, early adopters when it comes to any kind of technology, um, first with the Internet on the um, on the street. Um, we needed to convince him a little bit more on DSL because I think he already foresee uh, what's happening with the Internet. Uh, so we had um, ESN for quite some while, a time. But other than that, um, got in touch with computers pretty early and um while at the beginning, all the knowledge that has been accumulated was mostly used uh, to actually get the games running, um, ultimately it transitioned towards the interest in actually uh, building stuff with it. And um, started at school, um, choose a course there. Uh, that was not um, uh, the best experience. Uh, I think a couple of people at my age uh, also remember that um, when they started in the schools, that was pretty pretty boring and uh, uh, uneducated stuff. Uh, but then, um, yeah, went into an apprenticeship because I wanted to be hands-on and then ultimately figured, okay, a little bit of background in the theory uh, might be interesting. So I went to Berlin for studies. 
you actually during your studies uh, met the the other founders of Liferando and started there as a student, as far as I've heard, um, and took yes, a summer indeed. break from your studies and said you just you just finalized the code of Liferando and then continue your studies. Is that right? Did that work out? That is uh, that is that is absolutely correct. Um, so. Uh, while, while I mentioned, like, from my apprentice, I went to university because I wanted to know some of the theory. At the second semester, I figured, okay, some hands-on experience is still quite valuable. And, um, yeah, I, I got in contact with them. And they required someone um, to get things off the pilot phase. And um, I considered, okay, I can get this done in three months. So it wasn't necessarily a break from studies, but actually during my summer break. Okay, and uh, some more more sporty insights on your on your life <laughs> in your life into your life is that you actually wear a black belt in judo. Is that right? A brown belt, yes. A brown belt, and you are like a master in backflips. Yeah, this is um, this is the the old stories from uh, the the old times at Liferando. Um, when you're young and you you're still in full control of your body and. Um, Yeah, I would say like have a couple shots too much and uh, believe you're superhuman and uh, yeah, you make a backflip of the um of the bar. It was fun at that time. I don't think I can pull this off anymore. That's then the Christmas party stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. Um, and uh, like right now, do you do you still every once in a while code or? Um, it's it's still something that intrigues me a lot. I, I love curling. I love changing things. It's um, the one thing where the feedback cycle is the shortest in how you can actually have impact on a business. Um, so um, once in a while, um, I like to not get too rusty on it. Uh, but I'm also quite uh, privileged and uh, honored having such amazing people on in the company that it is a choice and not a must. And uh, after your time at Liferando, I think you are lucky and um, got like a bit of a bonus in, in the exit uh, you you worked in consultancy is that right is mm -hmm. that and why did you do that first of all I, i like this this german hesitation of talking about money uh, but yeah obviously uh, the ipo there was also something in for me um, so i went to thoughtworks for the culture um, so it was not necessarily something to do about um, going into consultancy um, while I knew the benefits that I can jump between different topics without actually changing employee. Um, but ThoughtWorks always intrigued me as a company. Um, there's so many people such as Martin Fowler, uh, Pat Coor, like strong influencers in the entire tech sector. So a lot of the books that have been written about DevOps are alumni from ThoughtWorks. And I just wanted to experience this firsthand and I've never re regret this uh, decision because it allowed me to reflect on a lot of things that I've done at Leaferando. It gave me the time for it. It also gave a lot of critical input. Um, your ThoughtWorks has been known for being quite opinionated and they voiced this. And um, if you're able to digest this kind of criticism and inputs uh, from others, then I can only recommend this for, um, to everyone in tech. What was the biggest thing you learned? Um, so it's people, um, over tech ultimately, it's all about people. Um, and, uh, it's about diversity and it's about, uh, making, um, making changes in society. Um, that actually drives people that drives people to come to work. And that makes also a lot of people reflect now on their work when they're sitting at home and actually wondering what am I doing here right now? And after that, you started a scooter company to, to also change the world a bit or? Um, we're getting there. We're getting there, I would say. Um, it's, 
it started a little bit, and that's definitely one of the downsides from ThoughtWorks. Um, the, the clients are quite corporate um, because there is where the money is, and they are able to pay um, this kind of high price consultancy. Yet um, the last project that I was on was one of the big car manufacturers um, to revamp the entire sales platform. And um, yeah, it was in the midst of the diesel scandal and I didn't really like that, but I wanted to stay in mobility. And I also figured I'm building here a sales tool for a company to sell even more cars. I don't even own a car. Why is that? Do I need one uh, eventually? And I'm still uh, trying to get through this path with having a daughter here at home now um, to still say, okay, how do you, how can you set this up for yourself that um, you don't need a car? And this is ultimately also the ambition that I have with um, Tier, that we provide people with a convenient alternative that ultimately the goal that also Berlin has um, to become a car-free city. And I know we're far off that. Um, it's one of the solutions that we provide. Additional uh, solutions need to be provided. Also, convenience needs to be addressed. And no one's going to use um, frequently a scooter if it's going to rain and it's cold. There's also need to be solutions for that. And um, I think we want to find this solution together with the cities. And that is what we're aiming for. Okay, but with a with a child, it's still a bit challenging to to, to use one of your scooters, um, right? It can it can be also quite fun. Not necessarily using with a scooter, but there's also um, ultimately we want to provide bike solutions. Uh, putting a kit on there um, it might be something that can be part of the hardware that we're providing. Um, the cars in the streets once electric are not necessarily out of our scope but i wonder does it need to be the ones that are off the shelf are they equipped to be actually uh, ready for sharing it's still five seaters and there's um based on the numbers that we know like one or two people in a sharing car um so why does it need to require five seats constantly um there might be use cases for that but uh, the majority of them uh, serves a single person so can it be a way smaller car and um, how about the electricity where do they get their recharging from and this is the aspect that we're particularly thinking about holistically to change the city and change mobility for good okay that sounds sounds uh, like a very nice pitch <laughs> so that's also your vision for for tier i guess indeed then. indeed i had to drop it ultimately <laughs> <laughs> very nice and yeah if if you look at 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 what 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 i'm interested in like the the software stuff and the and the hardware stuff um what is your secret sauce if you look at your product from a, from a techie perspective yeah this 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 is the intriguing part. Even coming from a CTO perspective, I'm really trying to put people over um, the tech stack there. So what we started with in the beginning, um, that was an experiment and it worked actually out as I expected it. I, I gave people full liberty on what they're going to choose for. So do you want to use Python? Do you want to use Node.js? Do you want Java, Kotlin? Uh, I don't care. What was the result? Ultimately, they agreed on two languages and this is now the main stack. It's Python and Node.js with the flavor of TypeScript. Um, so uh, it, they, they hadn't had to be constrained. Um, they, they took the liberties and they understood, um, hey, there is, we need to get alignment on those topics. Otherwise, we won't be scaling. Every time a new team starts and they go for another language, um, they need to reproduce all those facilities around them from logging infrastructure, from connecting to, uh, from deploying, um, deploying pipelines, uh, scaffolding, um, all that had to be redone. And then people are ultimately lazy. And they said, I'm just going to use what is present. And that is in the majority now, Python and um, Node.js. 
Okay, and uh, if you drill a little deeper, so what are mm -hmm. what are the secret ingredients? What is what is the special thing about about your product? I mean, uh, where's maybe the biggest um, biggest brain flowing into the biggest amounts of brains? Um, I'm I'm gonna be modest on that topic. I don't think we have a special source um, when it comes to how we building things. It's Kubernetes ultimately based on AWS. Um, we're using Postgres um, as a majority of the backend. Some people experimenting now with MongoDB or like um, DynamoDB uh, from AWS. We started with the Lambda stack. It was pretty convenient. Um, we scaled out of that into Kubernetes. Um, so it's not necessarily um, the stack that is special. I think it's the ability to act um, to changes and being continuously fluent on this. And this ultimately boils down to people and making them understand what you're actually thriving for and less of what the choices you're going to do in tech. We're not in rocket science. Um, so... So to maybe answer um, your question to a certain extent is I think the interconnectivity between hardware and software is the part that we put the most brains in. And there's ultimately going to be a differentiator. So I strongly believe, and we're not there yet, um, that while currently we are deploying centrally into a Kubernetes cluster, this kind of business logic is going to be deployed on the scooter or on the vehicle of choice. So we are, want to transition more towards an IoT platform where the IoT platform becomes the computing unit of um, a huge cluster. And what scales better than a vehicle that ultimately serves one person at a time? So um, O from one, um, you don't need to think much about scale in this moment because Every single device that has been provided to a customer will have sufficient computing power to serve this very customer. And then the next customer. And then the next customer. Okay, interesting. Um, besides me, like being interested in the data that is generated, we, we mm -hmm. talked later about that. Uh, so uh, what, what does it ultimately mean or where do you stand there now? I mean, I guess every device has like a, like a 4G card um, and like a small CPU. Uh, mm -hmm. potentially another CPU in the, in the battery. Um, so what, what is, there's like a firmware running on it. And I mm -hmm. think, I guess you don't have that much impact on the, on the design of the chips and that much impact yeah. on the, on the software that is running on it, right? The majority of hardware is currently still, um, not necessarily off the shelf. It's customized through input by a supplier. And, um, that has been our strategy, um, until this point. We see the weaknesses of those um, strategy um, right now, uh, and that is that it becomes harder and harder to iterate over the um, over this hardware. But um, in, instead of like doing a big shift now towards okay, we're gonna build it ourselves, that would be ludicrous. Um, we're carving out uh, parts by parts that we want to own, like. Uh, Uh, the IoT is one of the first topics um, that we want to own. Um, we want to own um, the battery ultimately. Um, running the battery network uh, requires this uh, from us that we have um, full IP over this. And we do have it, but we also ultimately want to manufacture it. Okay. And the software that is running on the device, is that controlled by yourself right now? Not, or? not at that point, no. 
but that would be possible, I guess, right? Even if it's it, produced it is in possible. China. And yeah. Exactly. And we, uh, we're iterating there with the supplier as well. Um, but um, in the, at the point where we're going to uh, put our own IoT on this um, with the idea of this platform, we're going to a majority um, of the stack, if not all. Okay. And long term, you think you don't need a central server or not, not necessarily a central server, but the devices are talking to each other or? It's actually the same idea that I have with Leaferando. Um, I'm always trying to figure out what is the smallest fraction of computing needed. And it's ultimately always the customer if you're in a, in a customer-orientated business. So what I did with Leaferando um, was that we generated uh, all the pages that our people are going through statically, provided them via a CDN, and just... Um, generated the changes in the back and uploaded them back to the CDN. That ultimately meant that all the computing power that we required wasn't the moment that somebody actually placed an order. Everything else was happening in the browser. And um, this kind of paradigm like follows me through that I'm always trying to find this. What is the smallest, um, the smallest fraction of scale that you can provide? And I see this in the IoT. And a Raspberry Pi has enough computing powers for multiple users already. So why can't they serve a single uh, user as well? Yeah. So I guess there would be space for a Raspberry Pi in your device if there's space for a helmet, right? Clearly. But ultimately, you need to make it more um, so you don't do the uh, – you experiment with the Raspberry Pis um, off the shelf and build prototypes around it. But ultimately, you need to customize it. Uh, there's, there's only a certain um, – um, framing um, that you can put the IoT in and you need to adhere to that. Um, therefore, you need to customize it ultimately. And uh, like coming coming to data a bit more, mm -hmm. so I, I guess like one of your scooters already generates quite a lot of data, right? Um, what, is, what, is, what, what are the data points that you're collecting right now? From the classical ones on GPS, um, acceleration, um, whether a battery has been swapped, whether, whether a lid has been opened, so the interactions with the vehicle. Um, and ultimately, uh, I need to stop using the word ultimately, I hate it. Um, and uh, at some point, um, we want to add also further sensoric data uh, into it. So we strongly believe that the micromobility sector can be um, synergically combined with creating a digital twin of um, of the city. And for this, we require additional sensoric data there. And then provide this to the city and say, hey, we know a lot of stuff about your city because there's 5,000 vehicles constantly moving through your city. And even if they're stationary in seasonal times, we can collect very valuable information about congestion, air pollution, etc., um, and this this gives a little bit of the insight also how holistically we're trying to think um, of the entire business. I think a small camera would be very helpful, right? Indeed, indeed. Um, so we've actually have a prototype of this already. Um, and uh, for, for all the listeners, it's GDPR compliant, don't worry. So uh, people are being uh, cut out on the edge. And uh, based on this, we could do a lot of things. Right. Um, from simple use cases such as count how many stop signs are there in the city. Um, some cities don't even know that. Um, count how many people are walking by a certain area. Um, like, since we would have the raw material, we could also retrospectively answer any question. If the city comes to us and said, 
okay, um, do you know um, the flow of the street? And I was like, yeah, sure, we can um, simplify it saying. Uh, we could write an algorithm on top of this and look into our historic data and find this out for you. This episode is kindly supported by Fastly, the biggest challenger in the CDN market. Fastly is pushing ahead the technical boundaries and is, from my perspective, the best solution on the market. Fastly is known as one of the key drivers of the Edge Cloud movement. In one of the next podcasts, I will talk to Tyler McMullen, Fastly CTO, about WebAssembly and the Edge. Well-known customers of Fastly are Shopify, The New York Times, Reddit, GitHub, and many, many more. If you want to try it all with first-class support, just go to fastly.com slash alphalist. I like it. It's a very similar pitch to, to Arti Heinlers with, with Starship Deliveries. Uh, I don't know yeah. if you know, know him. Yeah. Um, so they also have a lot of data that no one else has uh, from the sidewalks, right? And I guess, like, I see a lot of your scooters um, on the sidewalks. <laughs> I don't There know if go. that's meant, meant to be like that, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, like, interesting for me would be how, how do you monitor your scooters? Um, I guess there are, like, every once in a while there's uh, someone stealing one of those. Um, how's that? So this is, um, yeah, so this is... Um It's less severe as assumed. Um, so we're not losing that many scooters. Um, the reason is pretty simple. That thing is 28 kilos heavy now. Right? That's not fun to see anymore. If you compare it to the ES4s from Ninebot at the beginning, um, it was retail um, hardware. You could lift it with a single hand. Um That was that was a whole different game. Those disappeared. You just throw them over the shoulder and you moved off. Um, with those, it's rather hard. And since it's not directly off the shelf, um, it's also harder to retrofit and uh, hack the firmware. Um, so this comes as an additional benefit to it. So this is not necessarily a problem. So what do we monitor? We monitor on a macro and a micro level. Um, so we look, for example, is a scooter moving even though there's no rental? Um, then we have alerts for that. Um, we also check on a macro level, uh, do we have dip in connectivity? Uh, so what happens a lot of times is um, a city manager calls to say, I have a scooter here that doesn't connect anymore. Do we have an issue? And it's like, no. On a macro level, we don't. But this particular scooter might have an issue. We need to always be able to differentiate um, that. As this is paramount in, a, in such an asset-heavy uh, business that you can distinguish between it's an individual isolated problem Or it's a problem at scale, and you need to be able to look this um, and see this at a glance. And those are two examples um, that we are um, actively monitoring. And uh, what what are you using for monitoring? Is that just time series data that you collect and and use Prometheus or something uh, to to dashboard it? Or yeah, this is this is all uh, Amir's magic, uh, my director of technology. Um, and I think yes, we be I believe we're using Prometheus. We're also using. Um, Jaeger to, for transactional uh, things, but um, here comes now the privilege of having a great team. I don't necessarily need to know this anymore. Um, I know that we need to monitor it, um, and I'm happy that people make good decisions there. Is there some mighty dashboard in your HQ um, or which you can just call from home uh, that that comes with with a map of everything, or and yeah, so how much how much mapping intelligence is in there? Um, what do you mean by mapping intelligence, particularly? Uh, well, 
clustering areas, um, looking oh, how yeah. dense areas are, looking at demand versus exactly. supply and so on. So we, we have a team that is uh, you, um, is based on hexagon um, um, uh, clustering of the city. Um, they are flexible on the um, size of this hexagon. And they're pro they are calculating their um, supply and demand. Uh, one of their goals, and they're they're teaming up with another team there right now, is to create this equilibrium inside of the city that demand always matches supply. And um, this is this is a tough nut to crack because you're always making assumptions. Um, there we're quite good already, so the accuracy is between 90 to 95 percent in how we predict, including weather, uh, the next day. Um, What is harder to predict and which we're currently experimenting on is how much of the behavior of the customer can we actually change to park at a different location? Because just knowing where they should park is useless if we cannot influence the customer's behavior because then we need to drive it through ops and that is ultimately way more expensive than letting the customer go another 200 meters because we believe the scooter is going to be picked up uh, more likely by another customer there. Okay, how many people are working in ops in a city like Hamburg, for example? So there's a core team, um, such as a city manager and an operation managers. Um, depending on the size, there's also then further hierarchies, such as a regional manager and a general manager for an entire um, country or even region, uh, like south of Europe. Um, and then there is a, a flexible amount of people that... Um, um, that do the swapping. We have, again, there a core team, but obviously due to seasonality, we're obviously working there with external agencies to scale out and scale in. And our core team uh, that we hired ourselves um, is working on the, the core things, that's rebalancing, swapping, um, based on what is required. And this can okay. that, that, that scales up and down with the amount of scooters um, and rides we have inside of a city. And also scales a lot with the behavior of the people you're able to change, right? Indeed, indeed. And this is also the reason why we introduced the um, energy network from both sides. Like a lot of things we can drive very efficiently with ops, um, but whatever we can let the customer at their benefit do um, is something that we want to incentivize. Like in, uh, in Tampere, the uh, pilot that we do with the energy network, uh, 40 to 50% of the people are actually doing the swap now for us during a ride. And that is not gig working model, and that is important to differentiate. They're just getting subsidies on the next ride. So they're even becoming more loyal. At the same time, we require less um, operation power on um, yeah, swapping the batteries. Okay, that's then, then the next uh, version of your hardware, I guess, with the external battery and so on. Uh, I that's don't know correct. which cities you already have it everywhere or... So the um, the scooters with the outside battery are in the majority of cities, 80% by now. Um, and um, by the beginning of next year, we're also scaling out the energy network um, into the bigger cities and trying to reproduce the success that we had in Tampere. Okay, interesting. And does that mean that there are like certain energy stations or energy stations everywhere and, and uh, you don't need operations anymore or...? So we will always need operations um, because we we don't believe that 100% um, of the uh, required rebalances and swaps and specifically the maintenance um, can be done and should be done by users. The maintenance will never be done by um, um, by customers because if 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 you, if, you, if you don't have the skill to maintain such a vehicle, you shouldn't do it. Period. 
Um, but the scooter can be designed in a way that swapping a battery is actually quite easy and is error prone. Uh, sorry, is like less error prone and like pokey You just know how to put in the um, the battery. You can't flip it around. It's obvious how to put the battery in. And if you design the hardware like this, simple tasks such as swapping can very well be put um, to the customer. Okay. Um, and besides the external battery, you also have a helmet box, which is, as far as I'm informed, still empty. Uh, is that mm -hmm. right? That is correct. Um, so we have in uh, three cities, we're running the pilot right now. Other cities are prepared. Um, but we want to get a confidence level on the usage of the helmet before we're rolling it out at scale. That has various, um, like the previous mentioned pokey It's not so pokey with the helmet box. Um, you can put it differently, but it has an, an impact whether we detect the helmet. And this is something that we want to properly iterate over before uh, we're providing a shitty experience to the customer. Is that something that you engineered yourself, like the helmet box and, yes. uh, and so on? Or is that also available to others? That is that is one of the first uh, pieces of hardware that we engineered ourselves. We didn't build it then ourselves, but we engineered it and uh, designed it and provided it then to a supplier to build for us at scale. Yeah, from my perspective, really a, a game changer. I mean, if you if you compare yourself to the others, then like I think one big plus that Lime might still have is the integration in Google Maps. Right? Is that something that's going to change or? Um, it, it definitely gives exposure. Um, and people that are switching between uh, cities, uh, definitely. Um, ultimately, it's about availability. So Google Maps doesn't help you any with anything if you cannot reserve the scooter via Google Maps. And if you see that the scooter is in one kilometer distance, the integration in Google Maps doesn't give you much. So um, exposure is great. Um, but ultimately, Google is also invested there. Uh, so it's, uh, I guess, uh, a simple decision for them to also integrate it. Um, but it's it's nothing that we see as a major um, drawback for us to scale as a business. Okay, another question for the techies. Uh, is there any hidden cheat codes in your, in your scooters that you might tell me afterwards? Like for uh, a faster driving, the ludicrous <laughs> mode, for example? So, uh, indeed, we would have the ability um, uh, to, to change that, uh, but obviously we are adhering to um, the rules within Germany. Um, so, there's only a limited amount of people with access uh, that could even do these changes and it's very well audited. Um, so, no, uh, nobody will be able to change this to higher than 20 kmh um, as it is a rule in Germany or other countries. Besides you and me in half an hour, right? <laughs> so Obviously. Um, <laughs> Coming from the, the software topics to the more more softer topics, um, mm -hmm. so you you mentioned already like a few principles you have in, in terms of leadership and and building mm -hmm. up your your company culture and um, engineering culture. Um, how do you do product design? Um, I every once in a while look to look into the area of product discovery and find it kind of kind of teasing and and nice. Uh, is that also something you do with your your hardware um, and something you do with with your software product um yeah, yes we do i think that we have also to um still take the longest um uh, learning curve um like uh, victoria my director of user experience has done an amazing job they're building up a user research team a product uh, research team uh, a design guild um alignment there with um uh, also the um uh, brand design 
So this is something that um, oh you you hear, you hear the screams. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> That's having a child at home and working from home situation. This is all life, people. So, um, so this this is uh, something that particularly um, she drives. So, uh, what they what they've done now um, is in, in collaboration with the marketing uh, to have like this guideline on how the app should ultimately uh, look like to be completely cohesive and um, fully. Um, fully aligned throughout the company um so this this is something that we're particularly doing um there when it comes to the design um other than that um strong believer in um doing discovery before even building anything um so we continuously reminding teams that they need to prepare what they want to invest in next and whenever the answer is but i'm so busy delivering then then deliver less because you're going to deliver easier um, and more when you actually prepare the things up front. And specifically the triage on um, um, the product manager, the tech lead, um, the product designer, um, are the ones that I believe need to constantly live in those two phases of preparing something for the next delivery, but at the same time um, supporting the delivery. But the better job they're doing on the discovery, the less they require involvement during the delivery and can actually focus again on the next interval. And any team that cannot look um, into the future um, and uh, put some thought into this will ultimately just be reactive and is not particularly what I like. Okay. And besides that, how do you arrange your teams? How do you organize your teams? Um, so this is something that I took from ThoughtWorks and the way that we're working with a client. Um, I believe that the problem needs to be as close as possible, uh, so the team needs to be as close as possible to the problem. So how do we set this up? Uh, while we have reporting lines, those reporting lines don't, don't reflect the communication path and should never. Uh, they're rather a path of where to whom to ask for budget, whom to ask for a promotion, um, who to ask for salary raise. Um, this is what reporting lines are ultimately there for. Uh, who do I escalate to if I feel there's a risk that I um, like to voice? Um, so the way that we set up teams is that um, they get combined with a product owner from another um, department, such as in operations, in growth, etc. And this product owner is there to tell, hey, this is a solution I would buy. Um, and the team is proposing solutions. And this is usually the interactions uh, that the, those both teams have. The teams per def, uh, de facto need to be cross-functional. So I don't believe in front-end teams, in back-end teams, etc. The team needs to be fully equipped with all the skills required um, to run the show. Um, I'm always favoring um, effectiveness over efficiency. So I, I couldn't be bothered with everyone being busy. It's about do they constantly deliver? And if that means that sometimes Frontex has less to do, I'm pretty sure they're all adults enough to uh, figure out what they can improve on their stack that once more front-end topics um, come into play, that they can deliver quicker. Um, everyone complains about um, um, uh, tech debt. That is the part where you work on the tech debt, right? Um, if your skill is not that heavily required, or maybe support and backend or from backend support and frontend um this is how people can grow ultimately okay and how many teams do you have so it's right now 16 teams 
um, of which we differentiate between platform and product teams. The platform teams are, all, uh, are there to uh, provide a capability. Um, so they are abstracting the ability to unlock a vehicle. For the product teams, the capability of unlocking a vehicle needs to be, from a software perspective, non-distinguishable from unlocking a bike, um, e-moped, or a scooter. All the complexity lies in the responsibility of the platform team. The product teams are there to monetize the uh, platform teams. Uh, sorry, um, the product teams are there to monetize the capabilities provided by the platform teams. And then there's obviously another layer of platform teams in the regards of um, um, the entire infrastructure. And ultimately, the IoT platform that I've mentioned where people can deploy the software in. That's already a team on your company. Um, it is def it is already a team, yes. And um, the so-called push pots, so the um, charging stations for four batteries that can be swapped by customers standing in one of the retail shops, um, are already equipped with our own IoT. And people can actually push push business logic on top of this, so that the um, the, uh, the this piece of hardware is acting on the edge on events it's getting. An example, again, there is when, uh, and this is then high-level implementation, so written with Node.js or in this case Python, um, if the batteries are reporting that the temperature is going up, it's not a firmware implementation that reacts on this, but it's actually a Python implementation using the, um, um, using the interfaces it got and says, okay, I got the event that the temperature is up, I'm going to increase now the uh, speed of the ventilations. Okay, so it sounds as if at a certain time I could uh, potentially build an own app for the tier platform, right? <laughs> so. um, it, it is a little bit, but it will be internal. Um, this is definitely, um, but you're right, this is the kind of ecosystem. You're building a platform, but the platform is very much internal to allow others to deploy applications on top of it at ease. Into your scooter. And yes. um, we, we started um, at the team discussion. Um, so do you also have virtual teams for, for such topics where it's more about like potentially finding out if things are, are feasible? I think I think that is the, um, the, the crucial part. Not necessarily whether something is feasible. This is part of discovery for me that the team is getting confidence on I can actually deliver this in a reasonable amount of time. Um, The, um, the other part is then um, if we're not sure if something's going to work out for the company, then we rather say, okay, we're going to make a project out of this. It has a defined um, time where it ends. And either afterwards a product um, pops out that needs to be maintained and the team has been staffed around it or been handed over to another team. And in this cases, we do project teams. Those are really rather virtual, sometimes require only two, three people that just put their heads together for two, three days. And um, um, yeah. Okay, sounds very feasible. <laughs> Indeed. So um, uh, coming back to you, um, is there anything in your life, like a role model, coach, or a mentor you, you fully trust? Like you mentioned Martin Fowler before and your reason why you, you went to, went to ThoughtWorks. Yeah. Is there anyone that is left from, from that area? So yeah, like or, happy to go through this, like Martin Fowler, definitely. He's like this, he's for me, this icon of thought leadership. He represents everything that I love about ThoughtWorks from the, 
um, technical understanding from still being having the ability to be hands-on, being influential everywhere, but so much caring about society um, and understanding the responsibility and impact that he has with software and taking a stand there also specifically on Twitter. Then it's uh, Pat Kuhm, um former um, ThoughtWorks um, alumni, uh, has been the CTO of N26. His ability and his clear definition of what a tech lead is has inspired me a lot um, on how I structure my teams. And um, then there's Eric Bowman, um, who I'm in constant uh, contact with, um, who is he's like a he's like a library he has faster access to knowledge than google and certain things you just you just drop you just drop a certain uh, topic and he i don't know like i don't know if that's the right word in english but like like buffs out a, a ton of references and then you need to digest this first and you have a lunch with him and he he throws you in a positive way under the under a bus with a bunch of information and so insightful. Um, this is this is just just amazing. Um, so definitely something. Yeah, I know him from from Zalando. He's yeah. he's a he's a myth that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, and then do you have like being a nerd still? Um, I assume. Do you have a, a favorite tool you uh, are bugging everyone with right now? You're pushing everyone to use or? Yeah. Um, packed. Has been one I have been particularly um, bullish with because I Pact is not necessarily an amazing tool, um, but it's the best out there to ensure um, contract testing amongst various services. And if you want to go into um, call it whatever you like, microservices, so, uh, so, um, service-oriented architecture, but ultimately multiple services talking over events or APIs with each other there needs to be contract testing in place. Otherwise, you can't keep up with the pace. So PACT has been one particular thing. When it's for behaviors, it's pairing. I'm less successful there, but I'm constantly asking people like, why don't you just pair on this? And you will be fine, right? Instead of trying to optimize for everyone um, is doing or starting them particularly, uh, more things at the same time. And when it comes to metrics, It's the four key metrics um, derived from the book Accelerate. And um, this is how we measure the team performance um, of each and every team individ uh, independently of stack. Um, it, it just doesn't matter. We, we just look at what is your lead time? What is your time to recovery? Um, what is your um, build failure rate? And um, what is your deployment frequency? And that gives me all the knowledge I need. Okay. Very nice. Very, very hands-on on tips. Thanks a lot for that. Um, okay, Matthias, I have a little surprise for you. I stole one of your scooters and installed an alternative firmware with a hidden time machine feature. We can now jump on it and uh, travel back into 2009, the year you started at Liferando. We observe what is happening for a while and now you have the chance to silently whisper something into young Matthias' ear, what would it be? Uh, first of all, don't do this backflip. It uh, might have ended otherwise uh, differently. Um, I think the second 
part would be. And uh, it's kind of a repetition from what I said in the beginning, in the middle, and now at the end, it's um, listen to people, like value people over the tech. I've made one huge mistake in the um, in the merge uh, between the two teams um, when I've been um, assigned CTO of the entity takeaway. So I thought I can fix everything with technology. I'm just figuring out how we're going to put all those things together. And I thought of event buses and all the fancy technologies and I thought I'm going to make people excited and they're just going to follow my lead. But what people actually were interested in was what will be my role if I see at least a single person on the other side that is working on the exact same thing. So will I be redundant um, and not understanding that um, specifically a merger of two companies is only about the um, the people has created so much frustration and so much time investment and led then ultimately to a lot of people leaving uh, because they just couldn't bear with the politics anymore. And I was always wondering, like, where are the politics? But like, yeah, they were just here in front of me. And how to address this, I should have just taken um, a stand on we're just deciding for one stack. And it actually doesn't matter which one. Instead, I, fo I followed the recommendation um, to say, no, we need to combine the best of both, and that's going to be your mission. So I said, okay, I'm going to figure it out. And I should have just taken a sense like, no, this is not what we're going to do. We're just flipping a coin now, and we're taking this stack, and we're focusing on migrating everything over, and then whoosh, we have 50% of capacities available for all the new stuff that we can focus on instead of fighting ourselves through two years of migration, uh, which ultimately resulted in the same, that one stack has been decided for, and I couldn't bother less. Um, I'm uh, maybe at the starting point not, but by now I'm, uh, I'm um, not that egocentric to say it must have been my stack. I was proud of this one, but I could have just flipped the coin. Okay, so flip the coin early. Or don't flip the coin, right? Exactly. <laughs> and focus on people. Thanks a lot, Matthias. Um, You're welcome. Enjoy your evening and um, yeah, hope to see you soon. Same to you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks again to our sponsors, Fastly and MongoDB. To learn more about the Fastly services and get first-class support, just visit fastly.com slash alphalist. And to try the new cloud product of MongoDB called MongoDB Atlas, just go to cloud.mongodb.com and use the promo code PODCAST2020 to get started for free.